Oh yeah. It's, it's really hard. It's so, it's very hard, especially when I have people in my family, even and close friends telling me that that's not how I should be doing it. And maybe that's selfish, but I just know in my soul that it's the right thing to do and how I'm called to parent. And I, of course I get lost in the, in the shuffle and the daily grind from time to time. But for me, I really think that it's, it's more about the overall theme of life and parenting and I can also be an example of, I can make mistakes and not beat myself up about it, you know, and be very honest with that as well. Hello and hola friends. Welcome to the Medicine, Marriage and Money podcast, the only podcast for dual physician couples who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome. Bienvenidos. Okay, please help me welcome our guest on today's show of Medicine, Marriage, and Money, Dr. Kristen Yates. Dr. Yates is a board-certified OB-GYN physician, author, and life coach. She hosts the podcast, Imposter 2 Unstoppable, which normalizes the experience of imposter syndrome among physicians and all humans, really, and is the co-author of the book, The Chronicles of Women in White Coats 3. Dr. Yates is a loving wife to a full-time father of seven years, and like me, she has three girls and a female dog, 15-year-old girl dog, and her three girls are six, four years old, and 15 months. So welcome, Kristen. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This is going to be really fun, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I know. How often are you asked about your, your romantic love life and, you know, when uh, talk about the last time you fell in love and all those feelings. Yeah, not as often as I used to be, that's for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, well, tell us. Tell us a little bit about you and your husband. When did you guys fall in love and what did that look like? Yeah, I really love our story. Um, it's not overly um, exciting, but it's very um, current. Whereas we met on a dating app, actually, um, just two days after I moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for my residency. And I was not looking for a spouse at all. I had actually um, been previously married and divorced and both in medical school. And I decided after that that I would never get married again, actually. So I was just looking for someone to show me around Pittsburgh before I got into my residency and got started. (laughs) So um, I had like searched for some people who I thought like wouldn't try to kill me or be super creepy. And he was one that came up. So I messaged him and um, he ended up asking me to go out and we went on a date. And for me, it was love at first sight, actually. Like I I knew that I would marry him the moment I saw him. And which is crazy because I had not intended to marry again. And then I just knew I was like, yeah, I'm going to marry him. And it took him a while to to come to that same conclusion. But I eventually convinced him that it was going to be a good idea to marry me and then the rest is history. Oh my gosh. So what kind of advice do you tell people? Like when that kind of thing comes up, like people say like, how do you know? I mean, how did you know? What are signs to look for? And were these things you did in your first um, relationship? It was totally opposite. And it's, it really is true that I had to go through that marriage, that first marriage and that divorce to be in a place where I was ready to meet 
Pat, my, my husband now. Um, it was totally different with my first relationship. I met him when I was 21 and I, you know, thought that I wanted to go to the next step. And now that I'm on my late thirties, I know that there's no way that I was ready. And I don't think most people are ready. Um, if you're like me, I mean, I certainly was not for that kind of commitment. Um, but I really wanted to be ready for that commitment. So for the first time, I w- it was just kind of like I was just looking for anyone who would like me. You know, I really had no self-esteem. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't have any standards, really. It was just the next person who I can convince to be in a relationship with me is probably the last. So I better keep them around. And then that obviously was not a good foundation for a marriage. So it, and it was completely wrong and um, just unhealthy in many ways. So um, it ended uh, just a year later. And I did, then I just really did a many years of self-discovery and learned to love myself first, which I didn't do for the first 20 years of my life. And the second time around, what I can say is that I knew what I wanted it was, and it was very specific. And I think that that's why I had success that particular time on dating apps. And I had tried a few, I mean, of course, here and there and gone on some not so stellar dates, but I think that's all part of the process. And for me, if I didn't have the, if I don't, if you don't know what you're looking for, then how are you going to find it? And for me, it was like, this is what I want. And then if you're not going to meet that standard, then I'm not going to waste my time. And that's something that I only was ready to do, you know, at 29 and not 20. So what did that self-discovery look like? What, did, what, what kind of things did you do or not do during that time? Yeah, I did a lot of crying and I did a lot of thinking and contemplating about what got me to this point. And, you know, certainly there were moments that were really low, like how could I make that kind of mistake. What's wrong with me? I'm going to be alone forever. All of those things, which um, I think I just, I had to go through and really kind of be open to that and then come out the other side. And I certainly still had a lot of work to do with a self-love department, but um, I had just decided that I wasn't going to allow people to treat me like I um, had no value. And that's kind of where I had been. And especially now thinking back to that time with three daughters, it's like, how can I make sure that they never get to their teenage years, even with this feeling that they have to have someone else's permission to have value. And instead of demanding the value that, or how, how people should be treating you. And I just didn't have that, um, back then. So how do you think, I mean, how do you think you're going to raise your six-year-old, your four-year-old and your 15-month-old? So they know that because, I mean, a lot of us, we came from loving homes. I mean, you can tell us, you know, what your childhood background was, but but we, we still didn't know that. I mean, for me personally, I came from a very, very loving home and yet still those first few people I dated, I had that scarcity mentality, just like you, like no one will ever love me the way they do, even though... I don't love them like that. So I better just stay with it. Right. But it's like, there's more people, there's like millions of people. So how do you think you will approach raising your daughters now? Yeah. I, I, you know, I had a really, I had a wonderful childhood. I mean, no childhood's perfect, but my parents love me and they still love me and they were great examples of many things. And I think that, you know, part of it is probably society. Part of it is probably the 
the part of our brain that we all have that is the self-doubt and the part that tells us we're not enough like that. I just didn't know to not listen to that part. So I made that like the running dialogue of my day-to-day life. But I think that for me, that's so much part of it is that even now my six-year-old will say things like I am bad when she makes a mistake. And that terrifies me because, um, it's that it's, I already can see that voice is kind of trying to take hold of her little brain and, and be the boss. And so I am constantly correcting her with, cause words matter so much and our thoughts matter so much. So it's, so it's constant reinforcement of you are not bad, you are good. And that, what that behavior was a mistake or that, that was a, and it's all, it's all fine. So I think it's part of, you know, making corrections when they come up, but I think probably more importantly is the model that I can be for her. And what that means for me is that I put myself first and I show them how I do that. And I think that as uncomfortable as it is sometimes, because it's not how society tells us to raise children, it's, you know, children first and then, and then something else and then spouse and then yourself like seven or eight down the line. And I think for me, I don't want my kids to have that mentorship from me. I want them to think that they should put themselves first. And by putting your needs first and and your desires first, then you can actually serve more fully. And I think that the only way I can show them that um, authentically is to, is to live that every day. Exactly. Yeah. Is that hard? Oh yeah. It's, it's really hard. It's so, it's very hard, especially when I have people in my family, even and close friends telling me that that's not how I should be doing it. And maybe that's selfish, but I just know in my soul that it's the right thing to do and how I'm called to parent. And I, of course I get lost in the, in the shuffle and the daily grind from time to time. But for me, I really think that it's, it's more about the overall theme of life and parenting. And I can also be an example of, I can make mistakes and not beat myself up about it, you know, and be very honest with that as well. And so does your husband kind of, does he mirror those same thoughts or how do you guys parent the same and differently in that sort of, let's model putting ourselves first type of a way? Yeah, I think that we have very similar areas that are important to us and certainly raising independent and confident daughters is one of them. I think that um, he certainly didn't envision being a stay-at-home dad his whole life. That wasn't something that he um, felt particularly called to do until it was something that was required of our family. Um, so I think for him, he is mo- mostly focused on raising children that are kind and respectful and can do things on their own and are brave and that kind of thing, like the kind of things that dads would want for their daughters. And so I think just the nature of, you know, having a male parent and a female parent or a masculine and a feminine parent, um, which is our very roles, you know, I think are a little bit mixed there, right? Because in our family, there are certainly things that he does like care for our, our children that are seen by society to be more feminine roles. And I, I actually really love that that our daughters get to see that kind of difference in how a a family can be parents doing a whole variety of things and not necessarily masculine or feminine or dad or mom or, or whatever. But I think overall our values overlap for the most part. Okay. And how, so how do you, can you give us an example of how you would kind of raise your daughters to be kind and brave, like 
what kind of things would would you say or do to promote that? Yeah, I think, I mean, and I'll say again, that certainly I'm not the perfect parent and we are constantly making mistakes. But I think for us, it goes back to having a very clear vision of what our values as a family are. And for us there, it's generosity and love and fun. And so I think that we stand pretty firm in the fact that it's, it's one thing to say things like, oh, be kind, but it's a whole other thing to show them what kindness looks like. So um, my husband spends a lot of time volunteering and we make it well, like we make our kids aware that he's doing that. If like, oh, daddy is going to do this thing or that thing that's volunteering. Um, and as they're getting older, they get to go with him to do those sorts of things. And it's little, little things like around the holidays, we think about the fire, the fire department and the police officers and bring them gifts and um, we're constantly trying to think of new ways is how just the small ways of that we like to think about other people and how much, how that can bring us joy and them joy. Right. No, I love that. I mean, teaching children just to can give back, right. That's what makes, that's what makes so much, many of us just happy inside, light up inside. That's why I became physicians. And you know, the other thing, what you, you hit on is just making things fun. I think I have to remind myself to make things fun in every minute. Like, because for me, it's like a shuffle. It's a shuffle to get out the door. It's so hard. They don't want to brush their teeth. They don't want to get dressed. They don't want to, you know, they, they don't. And then I know it changes as they grow older. If it's like homework or hanging around certain people or doing activities you think they should do or not do. And it's like, how can we make this fun? Or how can I make this fun for my three girls instead of barking orders and yelling? <laughs> So I don't have to hear mommy. Don't yell at me. <laughs> how can I make this fun? Do you have any tips or tricks how you snap out of like, or do you, do you yell or do you order? Or oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I still am working on that. I, I have my moments and it's funny that I think it's a reminder to me. Like when I find myself being more irritable or yelling, then I will often at, like recognize, like I have not properly cared for myself and recognize that that's where it's coming from. And I think that's another reminder of how important it is to put my own needs first, because then my, if I don't, my kids are not getting the best, most fun version of me for sure. But I think, um, what I'll do sometimes is I'll kind of put myself in, like, try to see myself through the eyes of my kids. And, and it's just in moments, right? Because I think that I don't know if, if it's really about quantity of time. I think it's more about quality of time. So, and as doctors, we don't have a ton of it, really. I don't have a ton of time with my kids. I still work full time. So I think in those moments when my daughter asked me to lay with me or asked me to have a dance party and I initially, I want to say no, <laughs> then I'll just say like, I could probably have three minutes and um, how amazing would it be to for her to see that her mom is doing that and having a dance party and looking goofy or laying in bed talking about, you know, our days and that kind of thing. Yes. Oh my gosh. And I, just for three minutes, well, like sometimes we spend that much time just going to the bathroom or scrolling. I mean, how many minutes do we spend scrolling on our phone or checking email? Three minutes and they will remember that. So that's awesome. And, and then what about medicine? Like, how do you think medicine has affected your marriage and your, your parenting? I mean, I know you kind of went through a relationship, your marriage and divorce during medical school, and then finding the love of your life in residency. 
How has how has medicine kind of played into your family life? Yeah, I think it has made it a challenge um, in many ways. I think that like many women, there were questions raised about how to start a family when I'm in residency or how do we delay things or how do we really focus on a marriage when I'm working, you know, as an intern and not seeing you for weeks on end. And I think that going through that experience and being on the other other side of it as an attending where I have feel like time is more my own. I think the only way to look at it now is through a lens of appreciation that I, that we made it through there, through those times and um, really, really appreciate and have gratitude for how it made us stronger as a couple um, because that's the only option, right? I think because the other option really is that it weakens you and you grow apart and maybe you don't last. But I think that for me, this I don't intend to be married again. This is my second and final marriage and will continue to make every opportunity one of, of growth and strength. And that doesn't mean that it's easy because it's not easy. Um, almost It's almost never easy. I think right now we're still in the in the season of young kids and, <laughs> you know, and we all have our struggles, but I think that looking through it through a lens of, um, this is making us, how can this make our marriage stronger has been really helpful. Perfect. Yeah. So you're okay. So you're still full-time ob guide. So, I mean, do you get called in the middle of the night on the weekends? And No, I don't. I, I am very lucky how my practice is set up. I only am on call about three or four times a month. So, and when I'm on call, I'm at the hospital. So there are nights that I'm gone for 24 hours, but I think that's um, preferable to um, not knowing when I'll get called in and being home. So, you know, I just, there are days where you tell the kids, mommy's on call today and I will see you tomorrow and they're used to it by now. Wow. Okay. Well, that I guess that's nice that you can plan ahead better when you know you're going to just be there versus not. Okay. Perfect. And then let's touch a little bit about the finances in your relationship. Who takes care of the finances and your, is your guys's money combined separate? Do you have separate spending funds, investing funds? Yeah. Um, my husband does all of that and he's luckily very well versed in all of those things. And now it's, it's becoming a little bit more complicated because we have a business together, which is my coaching business and now real estate, which we'll be getting into. So he's kind of like the chief financial officer of our home and our business. Then he just kind of tells me to pay attention when I need to. And um, he's on my case frequently about how I need to learn these things. And uh, I will get around to it, but it's a little bit overwhelming for me. But um, I think that it's important. Like we'll have, we have financial goals and I think it's important to have conversations about it and know like what's going on with our money. But for me, for us, it's really nice that it's just one person taking care of the nitty gritty. And I know that if it were me, we'd be in trouble. So it's good that he's on top of that. Uh, Now, does he have a finance background or is he just super passionate about it? He's super passionate about it. Awesome. And does he coach as well or he just kind of is in the background running the numbers? Yes. He's in the back running, running the numbers. And we, when we had our, our last, um, retreat for women physicians, he, he was like, um, the man behind the scenes. And it was really, it's, it was kind of nice to have that. And, and then, so he's kind of like behind the scenes doing all of that. And then the real estate 
the real estate stuff. And he does some invest, like we invest in variety of things and he does, um, he plays around with some stocks and he manages our mutual funds and that kind of stuff. Right. So he's got it taken care of and he just nudges you when you need to open your eyes to something. Pretty much. Yes. <laughs> okay. That's perfect though. I mean, if he's going to run the house and run, run the banks and you're that work that that works out, right? Yeah, and I think it works out because we have their very similar mindsets when it comes to money. Like we're both pretty frugal from for the most part. I mean, we like to spend money sometimes, but it's not like we have very different spending habits. And in fact, he's a little bit more tight pocketed than me, um, which I think is a benefit of someone who's going to be running the money is going to be someone who might be the most the more conservative one. Got it. Yeah, and you know what? So I've heard that a lot of physicians. Um, who run their own offices, they will have their spouse actually take care of the books or take care of the finances when they're in their private practice or they have their solo practice. Because I mean, when it comes to finances, things going in and out, if you're not, if you're seeing patients all day long and that's all you're doing and you have no control for the finances and you're trusting somebody you don't even know to do it, sometimes money can disappear. Don't uh, don't balance out. So it's nice to have your hubby, kind of your CFO over all of your your real estate, your coaching business, your retreats. Yeah, and um, that's perfect. So what else? What else did you want to share with us? Anything about um, mom guilt? Yeah, I have a lot to say about mom guilt, and I think that it it stems from. I mean, I'm a pretty I I have a healthy dose of guilt come in and out, and I think that I used to let that. Um, be the driver of many things, you know, like I wouldn't go out with friends because of guilt, or I wouldn't, we, my husband and I wouldn't go out on a date because of guilt. And I think, or I wouldn't work out because of guilt. That was a big one. I never had time to work out because I had to spend every time, every moment I had with my kids and I couldn't tend spend even 20 minutes away. And I think what that led me to was feeling really unhappy and actually really resentful. And that didn't seem like a good trade off for me. Um, so I started to change things and as an OBGYN, my patients are women and it's so universal. The mom guilt is really, and it's to the point of, you know, women come and then they tell me at their annual visits, how exhausted they are and how they haven't had any alone time for years, years, or they haven't had a date since their kids were born and their kids are now 12 and 15. And it's just because of guilt. And I think that, and there's, and these women, so many women and my patients and the women I coach are suffering and struggling because of an emotion that I think is, is vastly overutilized in our culture. And I just think that when we really step back and allow ourselves to look at guilt for what it is, I think that so many of us can get to a place that, it doesn't make sense. And they know that and they, or if they can put them, their, their guilt on a friend and they would say, would you want your best friend or a sister or, you know, someone that you love to feel that amount of guilt and take action from there. And of course, every single woman says no, but then it's acceptable for them to be living day in and day out with guilt as their driving force. And I think that when you can look logically and see the downstream effects of guilt, then the decision to stop listening to it becomes really easy. Wow. Oh yeah. That is so powerful to ask, would you want your best friend, your best friend, or would, would you want your mother or do you want your daughter to have mom guilt? Yeah. Be the driving force in her life sometime. And so what kind of example are you going to put now? So like, what are like the first steps you recommend for clients who just are, 
They just can't let go of the mom guilt. I think that the first step for anything, in my opinion, is always just an awareness of it. So I think so often we're running on autopilot, you know, and especially with a job and kids and a spouse and your own self, you know, you're trying, it's like, it's so hard to stop and breathe and realize like, hold on, like, what am I feeling right now? And what am I, and what's the thought that's driving that? So I think number before changing anything, just start to become aware of the thoughts that are coming up for you. And if the theme of your thoughts is guilt, or if the emotion of your, of everyday life is guilt, then I would question that and just ask, am I getting the results that I think I want? from this place. And I think when you're, after you do those things, which those things can take some time, you know, weeks or so to, to unravel, the next step is just deciding that you want to make a change and then letting it be uncomfortable. And I think so often we want to wait for the right time or when it feels right to make a change. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that if something feels uncomfortable, it means that that's where you need to go next. And staying in the staying in the comfort of something is just because it's the same old results over and over again, you know, rinse and repeat. And whenever you're allowing yourself to make a change because you see the benefit of it, then I think the next step from that is I'm allowing discomfort into my life until it feels comfortable. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you really know that is, that's, this is so good. It's like, you, you don't really ever grow until you feel uncomfortable, but some people would argue that, yes, but I don't want to be uncomfortable my whole life. And what if the uncomfort will lead to something terrible? Like, how do you recognize the difference? Yeah. And I said subtle, it's a subtle difference because I think here's the distinction, right? Because if you have a desire to grow, it's probably because you're uncomfortable now in some aspect. And for many of us, it's this feeling of being stuck. I want, they're like, now what do I do? There's something more out there. It's a, it's an uneasy, restless feeling, but it's uncomfortable. Right. So I think that you could live like that forever. And, but you have to recognize that that's discomfort and it's Mm -hmm. familiar. So it might not feel as scary as unfamiliar discomfort, but it's discomfort nonetheless, because if you were happy and loved your life, then you would not have any desire to grow. If you have a desire to grow, it's coming from a place of discomfort, familiar discomfort. Yes. It's like comfortable discomfort. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Well, do you have any, any take home points you want to address that maybe we haven't covered when it comes to medicine, marriage or money or anything you just want to reemphasize for our audience today? You know, what the thought that just came to my mind that I feel called to say is that I really what I can say is I want you I want everyone to love their story. You know, and there were there were a lot there was a long time in my life that I didn't love my past and I was ashamed of it and felt like I should hide it. And when I was able to really look through look at my past and be so grateful about all the things I went through and allowed and allowed myself to speak to it and love myself through it, then it really changed how I look at my life now and how I look at my future. So all of our stories are different. And if you're in a place that you don't like your story or you're ashamed of it, um, try to see if there's a 
part of you that can start to love or appreciate that story because it really um, changed my life when I was able to do that. Especially when it comes to past relationships or things we think we consider failures, but really it's like, yeah, what, what could I love about that? That's perfect. Such a good, a good point to walk away with. Well, thank you so much, Kristen, for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom when it comes to relationships, mom guilt and, and modeling, modeling what, what we can do, right? And awareness. So thank you so much, Kristen. Thank you for having me. Oh, and before we go, where can people find you? I am probably most active on Instagram, which I am at Kristen Yates Do, and same thing on Facebook. My website is kristenyatesdo.com. Right, and you hold retreats, and you have yeah. book, and and your coaching. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much once again. What an amazing session with Dr. Kristen Yates Coleman. Thank you so much for coming on. So my big, I actually have five take home points that I learned from Dr. Kristen Yates. Number one, self-doubt. Now we all have this as part of our brain. Self-doubt's just kind of programmed in, it's in there. So how do you overcome self-doubt? Because it can often come up in every single day, every single instance we have, we might have a little bit of self-doubt until maybe we do something 1,000 or 1 million times. So what do we do when it does come up? We notice it, we take awareness, and then we choose not to listen to it. Unless we're actually about to do something really dangerous and we could die. (laughs) But yes, we can choose not to listen to it. I think the problem becomes is when we just think it's actually normal. It's part of our brain and it's triggering us. It's warning us not to do something. And that can stop us from living our lives, right? You can take, you can, you can avoid taking really monumental life changing opportunities and chances and and things that are just going to push you forward and and cause you to grow and maybe contribute to the world. So so notice that. Notice that self-doubt when it starts to creep in and start to talk nicely to yourself. Word choices matter. And this is not just for you. This is for your children too. You know, is little Johnny bad? Is he is he just a bad kid or is he his behavior not something desirable, not something we 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 want him to be doing. So let's watch our bird choice to ourselves and to those who depend on us. Self-doubt. Recognize it. Don't listen to it. Number two, to serve more fully, you must care for yourself first. And I know you've heard me talk about this time and time again, and and I cannot stress this enough. It is not being selfish, caring for yourself first. And maybe some, maybe you want to choose to think of this or say this differently. Maybe it's just taking care of your needs. You're going to be taking care of everybody's needs, your children's, your spouse's, and yours. But you might as well do yours first, because if you don't do yours first, then how are you going to show up? for your kids who are screaming and crying and you haven't even put your clothes on yet. Are you going to walk out the door naked after you've clothed them? No, that's what you've got to think about. <laughs> that's how, So next time you really want to do something for your kids first, imagine yourself walking out the door naked because you didn't have time to dress yourself. You just had time to dress your kids. Tell that to the next person who says that you're selfish because you're not putting your own needs first, like clothing yourself. 
Number three, recognize when you're irritable, angry, or frustrated, especially when you are trying to take care of somebody else, maybe your patients, maybe your children, maybe a friend in need, or maybe a spouse who's sick. Are you getting irritable at what you think may be their actions causing irritable, their words, or is it actually, you know, your thoughts about their actions and their words? So just recognize, oh, I'm getting irritable. Let's look at this through the lens of them, of my children, of my spouse, of my patients. What is it like to be them? And what would I want from me if I were in their situation? Because they may be in pain. They may be truly suffering. They may be not old enough to even know yet. I mean, their brains may not be myelinated fully. Recognize the irritation and look at it through a slightly different lens. Number four, mom guilt. Is this your driving force? Recognize if mom guilt is your driving force for what your life looks like. Are you not going out? Are you not sharing with with friends? Are you not, you know, do you not have a community of support and love outside of your home? Are you not scheduling date nights? Are you not scheduling spa nights? Are you not doing things for yourself? Are you still wearing those clothes from 20 years ago because you haven't had time to go buy yourself a new pair of jeans or a new blouse? Awareness of it. And ask yourself, you know, am I living my perfect life? You know, perfect doesn't have to be perfection to everybody. It just has to be perfect to you. So how can you make one small tweak in your life so that mom guilt is not driving your design, what it looks like? And if you're feeling uncomfortable, maybe that's a good thing. Just stay there a moment. Watch it. This is how we grow. This is how we get unstuck. It may seem a little uncomfortable, a little scary, but there is discomfort with the unfamiliar. And number five, love your story. Love not every single part of it. I'm not saying to love every single part of it. Neither was Dr. Yates. But embrace it. Your story is your story. Learn to love something about it. If you're, if you're ashamed about something in your past, think about it. Journal about it. What is there to love and gain and grow and strengthen your own mind, your own relationships from that? Love your own story. That is it, my friends. I hope you walk away asking yourself, do I put myself first? Do I model generosity and love? Do I try to make things fun? Do I let mom guilt or dad guilt control my life? Do I let any of my choices create my resentment? And that is it, my friends. I hope you go away spreading positivity and love into the world. Remember to reach out to me at Medicine, Marriage, and Money on Instagram, my Facebook group, Medicine, Marriage, and Money for physicians, women or men or any anybody who is a physician. Come join us. And I, uh, I send so much love to you and your spouse. And one more thing. 
If you are into finances and the money part of things and investing in real estate, join 39.6 community, my husband's community, where he totally geeks out, complete money nerd. He talks about what kind of car to drive, what kind of house to buy, Airbnbs, multifamily investing, you name it. So hop on over to our Facebook communities. His is 39.6 minus medicine, marriage, and money. And if you would like to take your relationship to the next level, or if you have goals you're working on in life and you're just not achieving them fast enough, or you want to learn a little bit more about the take-home points, the walk-away questions, if you want to actually put those into practice and, and start implementing them and want step-by-step help and guide, then, then reach out to me. I would love to be that person for you. Much love, my friends. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.